but I didn't catch the the live thing. Sorry, man. I didn't know you, you hit it. I can't see what you're doing. Dude, you gotta know when we start. You're not you're not well. Remember when at you this. and Robbie tried to do the cold opens every single time? We would every yeah. time. Yeah, you this did. is this is a throwback. Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is a very inexperienced Christoph Katzbeck. Good morning, Jay. Dude, when I hit the mouse button and click, we're going. I didn't see you click the mouse button. Well, here's the thing. When Robbie used to run this side of the table, he would he would start recording when I walked in the room. Yeah, yeah. that's because anyone with experience knows, knows. You, you, always record. Recording. you always yeah. record. Yeah. yeah, but anyone with... Um, like being prone to procrastination and laziness knows you want to make it as simple and post as possible. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. There used to say, be. There is, there is an irony of you calling me inexperienced, by the way, behind the microphone. But you're ex- inexperienced. Cool. Well, I, evidently you're inexperienced in the podcast, in I this must, podcast. Yeah, so yeah, I must be just saying people, people are like excited, I think, to have you on it. And then you just right out of the gate. You just start talking right as I take my I'm breath sorry. to greet everybody and I'm you sorry. start talking. Yeah, it's all right. We're gonna we're gonna move on from that. We, Good call. Yep. I, you were not very slow to speak. Was the issue? Like <laughs> as I was going, you're like, hey, let me jump in. Look at you in your transitions. I'm I don't, so, I don't care so what good. they say. I don't say. know what they're talking about. Like I am, I am. That is the best thing I do on this podcast yeah. is my transition from our nonsense to, to like the real topic. Yeah. I I just feel somebody like somebody said that during area lunch. I know they were giving you a hard time about, about it. my transitions. Wow. All right. That's yeah. not the only thing people gave us a hard time no. about. We actually had feedback. Um, we had some feedback about Jeff and I talked about doing a live show last last week, uh-huh. and we had some feedback. Um, we had to comment uh, introduced by Tom C from Hollywood, California. <laughs> okay. And Tom says, uh, "Thanks for listening, Tom." Tom says he's concerned about uh, us getting off track. That that doesn't sound right. And that we would not ever get to the main point. I here's what I wonder though. Does um, Tom C, uh, does he realize that we, um, that we don't really edit? We don't edit the podcast. No. Like we yeah. get to it when we get to it. So I think in a live show, but they're probably right. We probably would. It is Tom realized. It's not like we just spent like 40 minutes before sitting in this room when we should have been recording a podcast talking about other things. Does Tom realize right. that? Yeah. No. Come on. No. Tom doesn't know what's Tom going on. Tom doesn't. Tom. Tom. Anyways. Tom. Talking about so. being slow. <laughs> these, well, these <laughs> listeners, like I didn't know we had listeners. Like we had Aaron R from New York last week. We're coast to coast now. Coast to coast. Doing? Yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, hey, you preached on James one. Yeah, yeah. You're saying that like it was a surprise. No, we're going I through was, the book of James. We are going. Hey, through the book you of chose James. to. You chose. I'm trying to bring. His why back did you on choose track? the next verse in <laughs> the in the book? Let's <laughs> let's talk about that. That'd be fascinating. Let's let's talk about the comment see, about going 19, off track. Nineteen and, comes after eighteen. Oh so, my goodness. anyways, James yeah, chapter one. Yeah, this one this one man was like, again, we've mentioned this a couple times with James, but I just love how he has these proverb like statements all throughout, with just a little bit of explanation. Yeah, and I want to picture Paul reading these letters. I bet if Paul wrote the book of James, like if if he had these topics in mind, it would have been the length of Romans, First Corinthians, and Second Corinthians all combined. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah, he would he would have gone on for chapters and chapters yeah. and chapters. Yeah, yeah. If you actually look at what is covered, the book of James covers a lot, and and just it's just in every there's just these little like we talk about these these pithy little statements or these proverb like you know, memorable statements. 
um, that are so helpful because they stick in your brain. And, and then if you can remember, and, and the hope of this always is to then understand the context, right? So yeah. the danger of those little comments, those little verses, is that they get pulled out of context and used in, in um, I don't know, like untrue ways. Sometimes untrue in the sense that they're just like, that's not what that passage is talking about, but it's a true statement that's like, you know, talked about other times in scripture. That happens a lot when you kind of miss misquote a verse and sometimes untrue and just like, this doesn't have anything to do with anything that, that the Bible actually is talking about. Um, and so you, you always want to be careful about that, especially with James, but then he gives such good brief context to it that they're really easy to grasp, you know, the, the, what he's going after, you know, and like in, um, being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because the anger, anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Like it's pretty simple of like, well, why do you, why do you slow your responses down? Why do you take time to listen? Because being quick to respond to those things is, um, often leads to anger and that's just never, that never goes anywhere good for you. So yeah. And love is patient, right? So there's like this, I don't know, there, there feels to me this, this dichotomy of like, he's saying this thing, and this is what I loved. And I feel like you, you unpack this with, um, even just those first couple of verses right away of being slow to speak. And you, you said this last week of how James really mirrors in a lot of ways, the sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. in like the way that it's, it's, it's stylized because here's, here's something that's really simple, right? Like it's, there's not much ambiguity behind, Hey, be slow to anger. Um, or, you know, yeah. Quick, to, quick hear, to hear, slow so to, to speak, speak. <laughs> slow to It's all in there, right? Slow to recite verses. <laughs> yeah. Quick to hear, slow to speak, uh, slow to anger, for the anger of man has not produced the righteousness of God. It's one of those things where it doesn't really leave a ton of room for amb- ambiguity, right? Like it's, it is a do these things. There's not a, hey, if this, then this. It is a do these things. And yet, uh, one, we wrestle with them um, and what that looks like practically in our lives. And, and we do try to do this thing, and I, I feel like in the same way we approach the Sermon on the Mount sometimes, we approach these verses, and we're able to explain them away through pragmatism. Like, we are we, we are able to pragmatically go, yeah, but what about in this situation? What about this situation? And one of the things I really appreciated about um, on Sunday, you were talking about, no, the, the anger does not lead to the righteousness of God. Because right now we live in a culture, an outrage culture, right? Like right now, yeah. that seems to be the cultural thing is like we rally around the person who gets angry about the same things we get angry about. Like that just seems to be. Like, yeah. It, it, ironically, we say it's almost like that's the mark of righteousness. Yeah. That yeah the yeah. more righteous you are, the more angry you'll be. The more yeah. that like we have our list of things we're upset about and we find other people who are upset about those same things, that's what we rally behind. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what's interesting right now with the youth group on Wednesday nights, we're going through a series on unity and how we're supposed to find unity in Christ. And like what we should rally around are the affirmatives of the gospel and how we're called to be salt and light and how we're called to be slow to speak and you know, slow to anger. And man, I, you are, you I, need seriously, to work on that. I know, my you get that in front of you. I be quick do, to memorize, quick to memorize, slow, slow to, to podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like the anger is, and I wish I would have touched on it. It's a really good point of looking at our culture and saying, not only do we see that anger everywhere, but we we value it, and it becomes that becomes what we unite around. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at our world right now, 
we we unite around outrage and that is not a new thing in the world if you read the gospels that is what is happening all the time the pharisees are uniting around outrage and jesus is always pushing against that and what does it say that jesus never feeds into that jesus never unites around outrage and and even in times where you think about well surely here now he does like turn over the tables there is a there are moments of rebuke for sure but he doesn't like notice this he turns over the tables and the temples but it doesn't turn into a riot it's true like jesus yeah. doesn't gather the disciples and say hey we've got to fix this all right go go drive them out he drives them out when he tells them in situations when he sends them out he sends them out as innocent as doves like right like he sends them out as lambs to the slaughter he sends them out as peacemakers he doesn't have them join in on his righteous anger or rebuke. And, and so I'm not sure, like, you know, there's, there's probably more, there's, it's more complex than that, but I do think it is interesting that he has the disciples join in, in everything that he does, except for the turning over the tables and driving out of the, the religious, you know, the, and, and I think, I think we need to, pay attention to that because we live in a culture that is about riling up the mob and in scripture mobs are never good angry mobs are always bad they are the that's what crucifies jesus that's what sentences jesus to death that's what the crowds press in like all these different things like mobs are that's not so let me ask you a question with that um just because i and I, i feel like i know how i would answer this but i'm curious how you would what the, how, how then do we approach things like justice because we we do have so it's not to say that there aren't broken things in the world that we get frustrated with and we so there there are certain things i guess let me put it this way if we talk about rallying around um what we are angry about there are certain things that are just that we would want to see justice for in this world and we would want to rally together with others in order to see justice in the world if we're not called to be angry in that what then does our posture look like or how do we then approach topics like justice so i think it's important first to delineate between i'm not saying that we're never to be angry that's not james's point he's saying be slow to anger and and then he kind of implies that the anger of man is fast the anger of man is quick the anger of god is slow right so god's God's patient. He is abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, you know, abounding in steadfast love. He, that's, that characterizes God. So man, the anger of man is quick and like we're hot tempered. We're like, we want justice right now. We have to fix this right now. We, we like find joy almost, or like this energy in being enraged or being offended or being, you know, any of those things. So I think so that's number 1 is to realize like let's delineate and let's differentiate between the anger of God and the anger of man and to say as image bearers as Christ followers there will be things that that bring righteous anger in us but then my point on Sunday was that that gets so mixed up with our own personal outrage and our own indignation and our own self-righteousness that it just gets very messy so even when we're it's not so much the thing we're angry about. There is the thing, um, you know, like we, we've talked about like how human trafficking. So yeah. that's something nobody's in favor of human trafficking, right? So that's a horrible evil. 
And there is an extent to which that should produce an anger in us that at the brokenness of that and the evil of that. Um, but just because you're angry about something that deserves being angry doesn't mean your anger is righteous. Because it's not about the thing, it's about your heart, right? So, yeah. so I can take this thing, um, you know, examples were given, we've known this example, it's, it's now well played and, and hopefully we've kind of gone out of that, but there was a time where there were churches who kind of looked at bombing abortion clinics as, as a legitimate strategy, right? right. And so right. if you're going to say, well, are you, are you angry about innocent lives being taken well, yes, both the babies and, you know, anybody that's working there. I mean, it's you. So being being angry about a thing doesn't justify what, how your anger plays out or what your anger actually is. So I'm angry about human trafficking, but there is a but I can't be naive enough to think that then that means any response I have about that thing, that it justifies every response I have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's one thing is to just be really mindful of even when I am angry about something that God is also angry about, that doesn't mean my anger is righteous because I'm human and it plays out in all these different ways. So that's um, that's that's one important point. Then if you're talking about justice, um, and so like what should we what should we do then? Well, I, again, I, I look to Jesus and say, well, what did he do? he went in to those situations and essentially led by example. So a leper is cast out of a community. He goes and meets the leper. He doesn't lecture the people in the community about like, Hey, about leprosy and about like, you know, you should be bringing this person in and praying for them and, and, you know, caring for them. He just goes and does it. And, um, and he never gets sucked into, battles or fights he doesn't get he doesn't get suckered into um people trying to pick a fight with him and so um and his aim is never just outrage his aim is caring for the one who is having the injustice towards so i think that can mean a lot of things that can mean like um you know i'm i'm really concerned about the fact that there are people across the globe that don't have you know clean drinking water and there are corrupt governments that are keeping people from having clean drinking water and they're taking money that's meant for that and they're like profiting off of it. Well, I can be angry about that, but then if my response is I think the US should declare war on all those countries and come and bomb all their capitals and destroy everybody, I'd be like, "Wait a second. Yeah, slow down. That's not that's not righteous anger. That's right. now like that's vindictive and that's vengeful, which is not our our place." Rather, I would say us try see us try to figure out how do we get clean water to them, or if you're talking about you know race issues in our country of like yeah I can be angry about injustice and about like when I see something happen and I think man that that should not happen that shouldn't be the way our world is, but I want to be less about grandstanding and more about okay well let me see locally how do we how do we resolve this or how do we step into this conversation how do I sympathize with those who are suffering the injustice how do i how do i come alongside of them and and um and be with them in that so i mean those are just like a couple of examples that i think we need to we need to consider well how did jesus and jesus always is subversive right and the early church is subversive so they're not 
they're not like picking battles at a big picture level. They are subversively changing the culture because they are transformed. And we have to remember as Christians, our hope is always in the transformation, the transformation of human souls, which transforms communities, which transforms the world. That's, that's the direction. That's the kingdom. That's the mustard seed. That's the, like the inside out nature of the kingdom. The world thinks in top-down ways of like, we'll fix it at the highest levels and it'll trickle down to the bottom. That's not how the Bible talks about any of this. So I think those are just some of the, the thoughts off the top of my head that think first, like again, slow down, be slow, quick to listen. Like what's actually going on here? What is it, what is it someone's afraid of? What is it someone wants? Um, and then listen and then step into that in a way that Jesus steps into those situations. I love that. I think, I mean, and that mirrors, we've always kind of filtered through, then that's kind of our really, like we, we're called to, um, we're, we're called to relate to the world and interact with the world in the same way that God has related with us. And that's how God treats us, right? Is he is slow to anger with us. He is patient with us. Um, he has every right, um, you know, we, we have in our sinful nature, we have, we have sinned against a good and holy God. And yet he offers grace upon grace and mercy and patience to us in the same way we're called to mirror that then to the world. So I I love that it, that delineation, as you're saying, between man's anger and God's anger is kind of the, is, is the underlying issue there. And when we are quick to anger, it's, it's a lot like when you get, when you're when you're when your child if you're a parent and your child does something and you get frustrated with it frustrated with your child right away and you try to discipline them but you discipline them out of frustration rather than doing it out of patience and i think we've all been there mm-hmm. in like i feel awful after i do that and i have to apologize to them and i have to recognize like man that that the way that i spoke to you the way that I treated you was not fairly um you still did something that was wrong but the way that I treated you in that moment was not also um, fair. And that's like the difference between God's God's patience, God's anger with us and in our anger um, with the world. So I think that that was a good, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, and I think just that idea of understanding, just trying to, and, and remember, and watching out for the world. So the world will want to rally you around outrage. So that should be an immediate red flag right. in any of these situations. So even if you agree with their stance on an issue, watch how they are rallying people. If you're rallying people around anger and outrage, that is going, that's not going to end well. That is not something, that is not the righteousness of God. That's the right, that's the anger of man and the the righteousness of man. That's not. Well, and what, uh, what makes me sad, what makes me sad and I, you know, is what it is. It's not, not is what it is, but what frustrates me is that you can say that about the world but now in a world where we're so connected, we have online, yeah. we can see that there are so many, um, there are pastors out there who right. do the same thing, who right. are rallying, trying to rally yeah. um, Christians around outrage rather than trying to rally them around the gospel. And fear. Yeah, yeah. Fear and outrage right now are two major rallying points yeah. in the evangelical church in America, and we have to stop that yeah we like, this is why never how jesus ever he never rallies people around fear and outrage yeah he just doesn't do it and it forces us and into false dichotomies so then the fear and the outrage creates false dichotomies because if you're afraid of this other point well now you now that becomes your enemy those people become your enemy um 
And so we're constantly being baited into these false dichotomies. And they tried to do that to Jesus all the time. Like, is it this or is it this? And Jesus is basically most of the time is like, I don't have to answer that. It's yes, it's both. Well, he would always answer in like a parable. Or he yeah, he'd answer in a parable yeah, and, or he would ask a question, you know, or whatever. Like, is it is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Like, basically, they're saying, like, which is more important, healing somebody or the Sabbath? And Jesus is saying, if you understood the Sabbath, then you would understand that like doing good on the Sabbath is like a better way of honoring right. the Sabbath than your, you know, legalism. Um, and you were talking about justice earlier. Like, I, I don't know how, well, I don't know. It's the podcast. We have 14 people listening, but <laughs> like, I, if you think about, you're talking about injustice and talking about like, well, what's, what's been a dividing thing. And one of the things that, one of the areas where I saw this just feeling so weird about it was when the whole black lives matter and, or back the blue kind of, you know, blue lives matter and all this stuff. And I just remember thinking, why do I have to choose between those? Like, does anybody not realize that this is a silly false dichotomy? Like I can understand, I do not know what it's like to get pulled over and be afraid. You know, we used this illustration a long time ago um, in a sermon where I kind of, I painted the picture of getting pulled over. Like you, you're driving and you're not paying attention to your speed. And then you see, like all of a sudden you pass and you see a cop sitting there like on the shoulder. And then you have that moment of, ah, and then, and then they pull out, you know, behind you. And then, then you like have your stomach drops, you know, yeah, and then you're yeah. like, please don't turn on the lights, please don't. And then he turns on the lights. I would never know what that feels like. Yeah. Well, no, that part. You, yeah. So, um, and then you, the lights turn on and then you, and, and as I was painting that illustration in the sermon, I was trying to paint, like get everybody to feel what I'm feeling and then saying like, well, and what are you actually afraid of? Like in that moment, you're afraid the the worst thing that you can imagine that's going to happen in this moment is that you're going to get a ticket. And I do not know what it's like to, in that moment, worry that the worst thing that's going to happen to me is I'm not going to live through the traffic stop. Right. Just never, just never crossed my mind. I've never had to worry that I'd have to step out of my car if I got pulled over. Right. So, so like we need to make sure that we understand that and are listening to that. At the same time, I also don't know what it's like to give my wife and my kids a hug and a kiss goodbye and go to work knowing that I have a job that in, puts me into a position where I'm going to pull someone over and I never know what the intent of that person is. I don't know who that is. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in their life. I don't know what they have in that car. I don't know. And to know the very real possibility that I may not come home, that my job by nature means I have volunteered to put myself in situations where I may not come home. Like, I don't know what that's like either. And so it's because of that, that I look at that and say, I hundred percent like sympathize with, like we've talked about before with my black brothers and sisters that I just say, I don't know what that's like. I can't imagine. It shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't worry that you're not going to live through this traffic stop. And that shouldn't be on your mind. Um, and I also don't know what it's like for my brothers and sisters who are police officers who put themselves in that situation to wonder, like to have that fear of like, well, is this person, like, is this going to be the traffic stop that ends up on the news? You know, right. is this going to be the yeah. traffic stop that where this person, you know, pulls out a weapon and harms me? And I think, I mean, this literally just happened like near, not too far from my hometown where, you know, routine traffic stop but it happened to be a person that was on a warrant and 
you know, he shot the officer and killed him. And he was a father of like two young kids. And so like, I think we all need to slow down and just say, you know what? I don't have to choose between those two things. I can actually listen and understand both of those circumstances and grieve over the brokenness of that. And then try to figure out like, okay, well, how do we, how do we move forward in this? And that's always going to start small and go big. You can't legislate fear out of that. Like you have to start locally and it has to like, it's a cultural thing and you're cultivating something different. So when you talk about stepping into that, like let your grief and your anger, the righteous anger move you to action. That looks like action. Jesus takes like bottom line. That's what it should produce in us. And to say, okay, well, what does it look like? How would Jesus step into that? And I think Jesus would have compassion in both of those situations and, um, and would understand and would seek and would ask questions and would seek to understand, uh, even though he knows he still like, you know, listens. So there you go. There's a little, little tangent on. Well, I don't think, I don't think that, I don't think that's a tangent. I think that that's really at the end of the day, when it comes to preaching about not being angry or at least not allowing, uh, sinful anger to grow into you. I think right now, contextually speaking, that is one of the biggest ways that it's 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 uh, growing in people. So I think it's not tangent. I think actually that's right in line with what's being preached here in James or what's being talked about. And so I think it's important that we we talk about that because I think a lot of people are like part of what justice is is trying to see the world as the way it was intended to, and then we recognize the brokenness of sin and right. how sin has distorted that, and we just we should develop a desire to see the world reconciled back to how God intended it to be. There should be a, a desire in us to do that. Um, and I see, so like me taking the people who are rallying around anger, I'm taking them at their best is them just saying like, man, I just really want to see this to be the way God originally intended it to be. Um, but as always, like we can have the best of intentions, but if we do things in our strength, oftentimes it leads to more problems. I mean, how many movies is that the plot line of like somebody has the best of intentions right. and they do it in their power and it ends up creating way more destruction and pain, which is why it's like, no, we need to trust God. We need to trust his patience. We need to trust his process. And just, I, I love, and I love the slow, the, um, the, the small to big because that's, that's where it is. It's, it's not us like having to go out and do the giant things. It's us being where we're at, loving those around us in the way God has called us to that makes those sort of big changes. And and that's where I think we need to be, you know, investing our time. So, yeah. And don't you think like that outrage, I mean, I mentioned this before, but I think it's really a critical piece of this outrage always leads to these false dichotomies, which leads to a battle. Yeah, there's no room for nuance. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for uniting about. It's like the opposite of unity. It's the opposite of trying to come together to solve something. It is blaming. And so outrage and anger always is blaming. It's always leading to the these false dichotomies. And what we should be doing is again slow being slow to speak and and listen and understand and then be willing to take responsibility for what, you know, for what we are responsible for. Um, and, and then just seeking again to, to then not, and then to receive with meekness, like when James is talking about receive with meekness, the implanted word of God, like some of that is, is conviction. And, um, and if we're slow, like, so a big part of all this, just slow down. Like I just slow down. Jesus is never in a hurry. 
he is just never, Jesus always takes his time. People around him are always chaotic and in a hurry, and Jesus never is. You, there is not a single depiction of Jesus where he is frantic and like running around ever. Like even yeah. him turning over the tables is measured and intentional. And like he is never in a hurry, even when he's supposed to be. Like I think about the when he stops, you know, and, and addresses the bleeding woman who comes up and touches, you know, his his cloak and he's on his way to heal an important person. Like the, the disciples are like, we don't have time for this. And Jesus like stops as the crowds are pressing in on him. Time is of the essence to get to this child, to heal, to heal her. And, um, and he stops in the middle of this crowd because he's just never in a hurry. You know, the storm, when the storm is like, he's asleep when the storm is hitting, they wake him up and, and right. And, and he's just looking around going like, what, what's your problem? Yeah. Like he's just never panicky. He's never so anytime we feel ourselves getting panicky or um frantic or we feel like something's really urgent, we have to deal with it right now. Like anytime that's the case, I would just encourage all of us like slow down. Yeah. Slow down. Everybody who works in emergency situations where you're literally talking about life and death, they will say the same thing. Like you do not want an ER doctor who is frantic and running around and being like, Oh my gosh, right. we gotta figure this out right now. They always slow down. First responders are so calm. Like good first responders are always, they slow down. They slow down their thinking. They slow down their breathing. They slow everything down because they understand that nothing good happens from elevated, frantic decision-making. Like nothing good happens in that. And so we can look around the world and we see that. And so James is very clear here of just like, just slow down. And then as you slow down, you hear the voice of God, you hear the implanted word. So like this idea of the spirit, like implanting this in us and, you know, whether it's actual scripture that comes to mind or conviction of the Holy spirit. Um, and then that allows us to respond to that. And then he says, right. So when you respond, be doers, then do what you, what you feel convicted to do. Right. So, so slow down, don't like let anger and emotions like carry you away. And then once you see clearly and you slow down, then be be a doer of the word. Don't just don't just hear it and be like, oh yeah, that's probably what we should do, or yeah, that in theory that would be great, uh, but actually, but actually put it into action. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty solid. I, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know if I have much much after that. I, I... So let's take a minute here and discuss that because one of the issues that comes up often with this be doers of the word, not just hearers. And then leading into pure religion is to visit the orphan and the widow and their affliction. This very easily goes off. And this is not the only section we'll deal with this in James about, it feels like James is really elevating works. Like how, how is it that he's not, um, how is it that he, he doesn't sound like the Pharisees, uh, so that's one question. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna pose a question to you. Okay. How? What would you say to somebody who looks at that and says, "Well, yeah." So it's really just about doing good works. Like this is just about like being a Christian is ultimately about putting Jesus's teachings into action, which means like caring for the poor and the sick and the widows and the orphans and the afflicted. James doesn't say anything 
about the gospel. It doesn't t- say anything about substitutionary atonement or salvation sure, sure. in this section. It seems like he's basically saying, "Hey, be be a good person," and you know. Yeah, but what I mean, I think we just spent a lot of time talking about how I would respond to it is where what well are you drawing from? What what is that what what's spilling out of that cup? Those those much like the um anger of God is different than the anger of man, right? Like the works of God are different than the works of man. And so I, I think the difference is, and we we talked about how, yeah, the Pharisees were angry. Yeah, the Pharisees had what they thought was a sense of justice, but look at the well that they drew from. Look at the well that they were drawing from self-righteousness. They were drawing from a well that was putting themselves first. When we draw from a well that is centered on Jesus, then it's going to produce these sort of works that are going to want you to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. And so, yeah, it doesn't explicitly say it, but I think when you look into the context of even how Jesus lived, and we look back on on how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, the common theme was it is not man's righteousness that allows you to be able to be a doer of the word. It is the righteousness of God. It is a humbling. And so I always think about it, and I know that it's, you know, when you get into the theological weeds, like there's all sorts of discussion with it, but it is a um, it is works that flow from a faith in Jesus. And so when we say faith alone, what we are saying is it is by faith alone that we even approach God, but then his grace, his mercy, his spirit enables us to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Word. So I would take that part and I would stretch that out a little bit, that the faith alone is the context of our actions, right? So it's it's by grace alone that we're saved through faith, like faith is what empowers us. So when we do this action, when I, when I care for a widow or orphan in their affliction, it's in faith because I do it from, from a, from a mindset that, that these are image bearers, you know, like I didn't mention this in the sermon, but I think I'd mentioned it years ago or something. I, I've always been struck by this. There was a blogger who went undercover in, um, in the evangelical Christian world. Oh boy. Okay. So he was in, he was a secular atheist, but he just wanted, he was just curious. Sure. So he like basically went to all these conferences and all these events, um, and posed as a Christian and just kind of like undercover. And he wrote about his experiences. And one of the things that was interesting was in talking about social justice, he said, this was one thing that really stood out to me. He said that, Christians, he said, my, my friends talk all the time about like the poor and like how we should be helping. Yeah. But he said in a very, it was always a very paternalistic kind of way of just like from a, from a higher position. He said these Christians, and I, I wish I could quote it exactly. I could probably find it online. He said, what's different about how these Christians serve and help the poor is they do it as though as though they're the same. Like basically he's like, they actually believe that they are no better than the people they're serving. Yeah. And he was struck by that difference. That was the thing that got him to really pause and think about this Christianity thing is how they cared for the poor and the afflicted, not from a position of superiority, but from the mindset of one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And, um, that is like 
kind of going to your point of what what well are you drawing on? Like, are you going and helping somebody in your from a position of power, or are you doing it from a position like of of helping a brother or sister? And because it's in faith though that you do that, because it's in faith that you see the world that way. Like, because you're believing what Jesus has said about the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, if you take worldly metrics, it is really easy. Here's the interesting thing: is a lot of people who have a secular philosophy of life, or they're they're not Christians, they oftentimes don't actually play out what their actual beliefs are. Sure. Uh, because if you were to use the world's metrics, by the world's metrics, like yeah, if you have more money, more things, you have all of the the proper um, security or whatever, you are doing better than the person who is homeless. So why would you not think that? Right. But we know scripture says the opposite. We know scripture says that we are. And I, I love that phrase, the the one beggar uh, going to another beggar looking for, you know, um, helping to find food. I can't, again, I'm not reading. We're doing great on the reciting yeah, know, things. Right? We're going to work on all this stuff. <laughs> um, but uh, um, like truly, but but and here's the thing. I think that like people who have secular worldview um, feel that tension. I don't. I don't think that they don't maybe they don't recognize that tension. I think though as Christians, we have a proper outlook for what the world looks like and a proper recognition that people are people and we are created in God's image. And it is from the Christian perspective that we're able to come from that perspective and say, man, you are just as loved. Jesus just went to the cross for you as much as he did for me. We are, um, yeah, we are the same. And so of course I need to love you. At least, of course I need to pursue you. And, and, and then really that idea of drawing from God's righteousness, not from man's righteousness you know, um, we talk about faith. We say we're doing it in faith. I always think of faith um, kind of in the longer term of confidence, right? With faith. Confidence yeah. literally means with. And, and to do something confidently implies you're doing something, which is what James is talking about here. Like we, our faith should produce in us something that we are going to do. And so that thing that we should do should be drawn from the well of who God is and how God has called us to live. And we should do it with faith that he is going to do the things with it that he says he is going to do. Um, right. Which kind of goes back to the whole idea, that goes all the way back to this idea of, um, you know, you rewind back to the anger thing of, we do it out of faith knowing that God is going to, we don't use man's anger to solve issues. We, we, we go with what God's is, which is slow, patient, kind, um, all of those things. And so, yeah, to me, you, you read James, and like I can understand at face value how you can twist that. I mean, the Pharisees twisted Scripture all the time. It's, it's very easy to do that. But I think when you when you read how Jesus um, lived out his ministry, to me, reading James, there's like no tension there. He's he's just you know he's just unpacking once again what Jesus said and how we're called to live. Right, and I think the his he's going back to the idea of like these simple questions of, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in the kingdom that he proclaimed? If so, this is how you'll respond yeah. in that. We actually reveal what our worldview is by how we function in the world. Like, so it's very easy to see it in other things. If, if a person believes in karma, then they do good things because they think it will come back to them, right? Like that's the economy of believing in karma. I do good things for you because I think the universe will pay me back in some way. And if I do bad things to you, then bad things are going to come back to me. People who believe in like the universe and energy or whatever, put positive energy out into the world because they believe it'll come back to them. Like you act in accordance 
with what you actually, how you actually believe the world works. And I think part of what James is saying here is it doesn't matter what you say about how you think the world works. What matters is your actions because that actually reveals how do you think this works. So if you believe at your job that coming in early and leaving late will lead to getting promoted and making more money and that you will be happier if you do that, then you're going to come in early and leave late. If you actually don't believe that, if you say, like if you're in an interview, you know, if they say like, how important is it to come in early? You might say like, oh, I think it's really important. But ultimately you're going to look around at how the company functions and you're going to acknowledge, you're going to realize like, actually it doesn't matter what time, as long as you might actually live out the idea of, well, what matters is I come in before the boss gets in. And as long as I'm in 60 seconds before the boss gets in, that's the that's the sweet spot. And then you will live in accordance with that. And so faith is just living in accordance to the kingdom as it is. I'll give you an example when it comes to the poor. Um, we have to ask the question of why why are there poor? What is the what does the Bible say about that? Like is it is it is it because of their own decisions? Is it because or is it because it's God's design that there is that there's a distribution of wealth so that people like there's a really interesting dynamic when Jesus says you always have the poor with you. It's an interesting statement because he clearly doesn't see poverty as something that can necessarily be solved. It's meant so that we can display the righteousness of God and how he is extravagantly generous towards us, you know, we who are poor. But think about how often in the Christian world the the phrase God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So which is it? Do you believe that God helps those who help themselves, which then leads to a judgment of the poor? That it's probably because like if they have as much opportunity as I do, and so if they would have just worked harder or made better decisions, they wouldn't be poor? Or do you believe what Jesus says about the kingdom? Like in John 9, when they come upon the blind man, yep, and they yep. say, well, because in, in their culture, if you were born blind, it was either because there's something inherent in you, or like... It, yeah, was it the sin of your parents or was or it was it his sin or the yeah. sin of his parents? Yeah. So the question was like this is what's fascinating about that statement by the way. You go to John 9, it did not occur to them that he might be blind for any other reason besides sin. Yeah, it was just those two. two so things, if he was yeah. born blind, then it must have been because of the sin of his parents. If he became blind, it must have been because of his own sin. And so they're just asking Jesus, which one is it? And he says neither. Like he was born blind so that the works of God you know, might be, might be magnified here that he might be on display for this. And, and you look, there's theological questions about that. Like Mm -hmm. it seems, Jesus seems to function in a kingdom where he says like in the kingdom of God, people, we are all placed in situations to maximize like our ability to glorify God, which maximizes our joy in that. So that should shape when we look at things like how do we help the poor? How do we serve the the poor is we don't do it from a posture of like, well, you're probably, you probably put yourself in this situation. Um, can you point to bad financial decisions? Like, and, and does generational poverty lead to, yeah, but that does in every, every class. Like, I don't know about you, Christoph, but I've made some really dumb financial decisions in my life. No, I've been pretty perfect. You've been pretty perfect in that. So I've like, I've made some really bad financial decisions in my life and I've had a safety net. Like I have extended family. I have like, I, it's just a different setup through things that have nothing to do with me. I did not choose 
to have financially stable parents. Like nobody, nobody asked me before I was born, right? Hey, right. do you want to be in a financially stable home or do you want to be in a home that lives paycheck to paycheck and struggles to just make ends meet? Nobody asked me. So like we, we get put into a lot of situations like that are way out of our control. Um, but God is not out of control in them. He places us there so that we can display his glory. So it just is a different worldview. And if you view that, and that was the other thing that we'll go into next week of like, you know, the sin of partiality, which we'll cover next week. But the, this idea of like, do you see like faith? And if faith is the thing that you believe is, that's the economy of the kingdom is in any given moment. Do I believe what Jesus has said? Do I trust him in this action? If I believe that this, that it is better to respond to evil with good, then that's what I'll do. If I don't believe that, if I believe that's only something I say, that I should bless those who persecute me. Well, I can say it in theory, but then when I'm persecuted, then I'm going to have a, a comeback that's going to try to crush them or I'm going to try to put them in their place. Then that reveals what I actually believe about exactly. how, yeah. about what's valuable. And so that plays out. And, and James is just using an example. Again, with widows and orphans, we, we talk about that a lot because he explicitly states it. So it's certainly not less than that. So James is giving examples though, it goes to many, like anyone in the world, anything, anybody that the world looks at and says, well, they're, they're in the, they're, it's their own fault. Like they're in their own position. Like it's none of our concern. Like they're everyone, every man for himself, like those kinds of mentalities, those are things that we need to push back against. Um, whether they're widows or orphans or people who are mentally ill or people who are, are homeless or in prison or any of these different things. Um, those were just examples. So we should not do less than that. Like you could never make the argument that, oh, well, James was just giving examples. Therefore, it doesn't matter if we take care of orphans. Like, no, that's a really critical thing because I think he's picking theologically significant. Um, but every, all those are theologically significant, yeah. right? Yeah. Like what is mental illness except not being able to see reality, like not being able to see the with eyes of like what's actually going on? Well, that's all of us. We're all blinded by our sin. Like there's a theological parallel. What is being in prison other than like we are imprisoned by our sin. We are slaves to our sin, imprisoned by our sin. And Jesus sets us free from that. And so he, he like sets free those who are held captive. Um, and then we talked about like widows that we are, we're like, we're all like widows. Like we've died to this old self and now like we are the bride of Christ and orphans. We are all like lost in that, but we are adopted by him. So these all have these massive theological backings that are all declaring this narrative of how the, how God has created the world, how he says the world works. And in every single one of these situations, we are either pointing to his narrative as the true story um, of this kingdom that has come, or we're pointing to the world's narrative of, um, of how we think the world functions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what I love about all of that is you kind of originally said that it feels like there is not much gospel in James. And what is wild to me is that when we actually talk about it and stretch it out, that's like 100% what it is. Right? It's totally go- it is, gospel. It is, it is, right. It is, yeah. And, and, I, and I love that. I love that. Yeah. You do, unless you think that James is sitting there writing this and being like, all right, here are the main laws that we need to make sure that we yeah. still keep. You know, the whole thing is the backdrop. That's like, I mean, people can say that about the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Well, and some do. Like, you some know, do. this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're gonna now accuse Jesus that he doesn't speak in a very gospel centered way? Yeah. Like 
yeah, I think he is. I think he understands yeah. the kingdom and understands the the gospel, um, maybe maybe a little better than, <laughs> than any of us do. And James is just reflecting that. Yep. And so some of those things are like just givens, right? Like he's he's not like I said, he mentions Jesus twice. Like, well, but he's not writing a theological discourse. Like this is a letter to encourage Christians, and he's encouraging them that hey you need to make sure that you're living in line with what you say you believe. Right? And we, in 2023, get the opportunity to do the same. Right. It's, it's that same, we get to receive that and then go, okay, here's here's the challenge. Like, what does our faith look like? What does it look yeah. like to be doers of the word? What does it look like um, to, to be those people? Which, isn't this incredible? And this is where I'll, I'll, but I just, when you said that, when people talk about how like the Bible is irrelevant, I'm like, do you read it? Because oh, it's like yeah. the same things. And James is full of this. Like basically every every section, everything that he talks about, you look at it and you say, that is exactly our world today. Yeah, like the world doesn't change, and that's a big chunk of what James is talking about is is um, the things that have always caused problems. Like are the things that always do. Like there's nothing new under the sun in any of this. I mean, just wait till we get to the, what causes quarrels among you. It's like, he's sitting in our, like sitting on our social media right now. And you know, these were, we, these were great examples. Like what bigger issues do we have right now than, than people trying to unite around, um, knee jerk reactions yeah. and outrage and overreactions of all these things. Like that's, that's what we're dealing with. What, what could possibly be more relevant then if our entire imagine if our entire culture was quick to listen and actually tried to understand the underlying desires and fears of people um and took time to understand and was slow to anger and slow to respond to any of that i mean imagine what i mean well and hopefully we can be those people right like yeah. hopefully hopefully and we'll fail um, right. That's where God's grace comes in, you know, but we can, we continue to strive just slow for down. That and, yeah. yeah. Don't buy in. Just don't buy in. Yeah. Just, just slow down. Even when you agree with someone, that would be my big tip right now is even when you agree, slow down. If someone's trying to unite you around outrage, just slow down and say, okay, I might agree with the thing that you're saying, but not with how this is playing out. And so therefore I, I'm not a part of that yeah. because because like we've talked about before, you can you can be right but still be wrong. Jesus is very clear about it. This isn't about the conclusion you're drawing. This is about your heart in the midst of it. Um, and so I think if we could all do that, that would, would certainly be a benefit. And if we start in community in the church, we can help each other in that because this is supposed to be a safe place. Like if you... If you're in the church and you're in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united around that. We are all declaring the same king and the same kingdom. And so we can help each other slow down. Like we can encourage each other to just slow down, listen, understand, be fair to different points of view, and then be able to see clearly to say, okay, I think this is how I need to respond in this. Um, We just are never going to be able to do that well on our own. So as always, we want to encourage you, please be in community. Make sure there's people that you are processing with and that you are helping along the way of following Jesus and that you're being helped by. Um, And we would love to help you connect um, in that kind of community. So you can fill out a connection card. You can email us at connect at faithpeshtogo.com or talk to us on a Sunday morning. Let us help you do that. We appreciate you 
taking the time to listen. Christoph, thanks for jumping in here. And yeah, thanks for having me. Jumping in early today. And, of course. Um, that was great. And uh, we appreciate your time. Until next time, grace and peace. <laughs>